Hello and you're very welcome to Maritime Ireland. This is Tom McSweeney with the only radio programme and podcast about Ireland's maritime development, our relationship with the sea around this island nation and about our maritime culture, history and tradition. Those traditions are very important to preserve. Kevin Flannery is a respected maritime voice, a former state fisheries officer, one of the founders of Dingle Aquarium. At a funeral in the town, two people passed by. He heard one asking the other, who's dead? The answer was, some fisherman or other. Kevin Flannery was upset and wrote a piece in the Marine Times newspaper called They Were Just Fishermen. An elderly fisherman died here and a man who had basically left school, went on the deck of a boat and fished all his life like he hadn't gone to Norway or Africa. He'd fished the bays, he had learned the old way, he had learned the tradition of you with the mountain behind you, watching the hill, the mountain, and knowing the marks. They didn't depend on GPS. And he started out on deck. He worked his way up. And, of course, when the skipper wanted a break, he took the wheel. And then when he learned how to take the wheel and do the whole lot, they learned, these men, basically, this man learned that how to become a real fisherman and how to be trawl the bays and make a living for both himself, his family, and his crew. And when this man passed away, we were outside the church awaiting his arrival at the church and two people just happened to be passing, two ladies. And they wondered who the funeral was. And one of them just turned to the other and said, "Uh, it's just some fishermen. Now, I come from a town and a heritage of fishing, uh, fishing families where fishing was the lifeblood and maintained towns like Dingle and a huge number of other communities around the country. And I was rather incensed. And I felt that, is this the way we're going? Are we becoming like an ethnic community that we're becoming something else, that the fishing communities are just a passing trade now, that they're not the backbone of the community, which they really should be and really are. And I felt that they deserve the respect for people who appreciate their industry, who love their industry and who love the people involved in it and their families and everything and all the community involved in all around the coast. And I think fishermen deserve that respect. And for that reason, I felt I had to write a piece on the two fishermen who had worked their life off of the pier, off of the boats, off of the deck, and who had created employment and who had created work and income, both for their families, as I say, for their crews, for the people who came and sold, bought and filleted their fish and retailed it and in the restaurants. And... This is sadly the way I feel that the fishing industry is going, that they are already fishermen. They are already now not the big, the backbone of the community. And they deserve a better respect of that, Tom, and that's my feeling on it. Kevin Flannery in Dingle, recalling men who were fishermen and the importance of respect for our Irish culture and tradition. In starting this edition of Maritime Ireland, I said this is the only radio programme and podcast on air in Ireland about the maritime sector. And so it is. The programme which I started and developed for over 20 years in RT Radio 1, Seascapes, has been taken off air. As its founder, that leaves me a little sad. But Maritime Ireland continues and will do so. 
Now let's turn to another tradition, sea scouting. I was invited to the annual seamanship competition for sea scouts, which has been run every year since 1995. Supported by the Irish Institute of Master Mariners, it was held at the National Maritime College in Cork, where 24 senior sea scouts competed for the Captain Desmond Fortune Founders Award and the Captain Kean Timmons Memorial Award. The first time the award honouring Captain Timmons, a former sea scout and member of the Council of the Master Mariners Institute, was presented. I was impressed by the range of activities of the Sea Scouts, about which Colin McCaffrey, their event coordinator, told me. Well, Sea Scouting, as I said, it is a, maybe a, a specialised activity programme within Scouting Ireland. Um, but it's the same, it's same as any other scout group, but just a more emphasis on, on I said, water safety and, and maritime studies and stuff. It's a specialist um, programme. It, it's a harder one to operate because you need much more training and resources and equipment to do it. So that's why it is a very much a, a niche um, area in, in Scouting Ireland. There's probably about 30-odd sea scout groups focused on maritime studies and, and activity in Ireland, which is probably about four or 5,000 uh, young people, which is, which is amazing. Um, so we're hoping that you know, more groups will consider reflecting a nautical program in, in, in their sections and getting more kids from six years up to play, being on the water and making water safety and seamanship part of their normal program. Uh, would it be from you know, learning the rules of the road, learning voyage, learning the weather, learning the tides, and then actually getting leadership skills to run activities on the water? Would it be kayaking activities, sailing activities, learning how to drive a powerboat and stuff, and using those real leadership skills back ashore as well afterwards? Sounds to me very much a coastal thing, but urban... Is there urban interest in the Sea Scouts? Yeah, it, it may be called Sea Scouts. Uh, sometimes we're, we're funnily called Puddle Pirates as well, but uh, there is inland waterways as well. So we have a few uh, scout groups who uh, do a lot of paddling and uh, Canadian, Canadian canoes and stuff on the inland waterways. Today we've got uh, New Ross uh, Sea Scouts here, and New Ross are obviously on the, on the barrow. Uh, so they do a few bits of sailing and stuff, but obviously you know, in the river it's, it's harder to do uh, sailing activities, but they still focus on a, on a, on a sea scouting programme and maritime studies and maritime uh, skills, seamanship skills uh, in, their, in their river. So it, it's not just the coast. Coast is obviously a great way to, to start it. It's, you know, it's easy access to the water, uh, but there is inland waterways people as well, which, which is good as well. And Sea Scouts, the organisation and the history of it goes back quite a way? Yeah, 1912 was when Sea Scouting started. Uh, well, Scouting Ireland started, I suppose, in 1912. And one of the first groups in Ireland was a Sea Scout group in, in Ringsend. And Ringsend are, are here again as well, which was great. So it's a huge amount of history and, and Part of the maritime heritage and stuff is something we're really interested in as well. And it's part of the syllabus as well. There's an element of the syllabus about, you know, the history of sea scouting and, you know, the traditions and, and all that kind of area. Um, so, yeah, we're very lucky. Uh, myself, I'm in Malahide and Malahide is 1919. So we're just celebrating our centenary a few years ago as well. So a huge amount of history uh, within the sea scouting groups. And that's kind of how they usually work. The sea scouting groups, generally, they, they're one of the earlier ones. They would have grown up through the Navy and stuff and the, um, the Royal uh, Coast Guard. So the... When uh, back, you know, before Irish was Ireland was a you know a free state, most sea scout groups would have grown up and uh, paired up with their local coast guard, you know, the Royal Coast Guard um, units close by, like Malahide would have and Dublin would have, uh, you know, ring, rings out and such, um, and that, that's how it kind of grew then. What age would young people? be eligible, shall we say, to come into the Sea Scouts? So sea Scouting is a framework, um, so scouting starts at six years old. Um, it's much harder to operate a, a safe programme for a six-year-old, um, but it does happen. So, for example, my, my own background is in, is in Malahide. We've got just shy of 800 kids who are from six years up to and um, we get our beavers out, our beavers are the, the six-year-olds, they, they out every 
you know, every month on the water you'll know, be in, in big boats and appropriate uh, activities um, so we get them started very very early it's harder to run that kind of program so that takes time to build the skills and resources to, to figure out how that works but we were very active to get the you know 10 years old 12 years old up to be running the sessions themselves when they're kind of 15 years old they should be running their own sessions uh, with us kind of watching the background and you know making it as a safety net but uh, the whole idea is that young people at the early ages single digits get time in the water, they build up some technical experience and then by the time they're a bit older, they've had 10 years in the water and they have kind of a second nature competency that they just do it and that's when they, they hand over and they start running activities uh, for themselves, which is fantastic. You convey a huge enthusiasm for it, Colm. Obviously, it's something, community of the sea is something you're really anxious to promote. Yeah, for sure. I, I grew up through it, and there's 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 no escape. I grew up through it through scouting when I was a young kid, and uh, uh, I just hooked hooked to it. One of the big things about scouting is, is to connect leadership skills and responsibility and stuff, and to do that, then on the water. So if you give a young person responsibility to run, call it a, you know, two or three sailing boats in the water, they have to plan that activity, uh, figure out the winds doing, figure out where they're going to place the course, uh, do the whole management and resources. Um, tide calculations and you know uh, crew management that kind of stuff being able to do that as a young person and have that leadership responsibility is amazing and on the water is a great practical way to do that colin mccaffrey and the impressive commitment of the sea scouts introducing young people to the maritime sphere the ninth port malahide sea scouts dublin won both the captain desmond fortune founders award won by cormac eason and the captain kian timmons award won by oran o'hirala if you'd like to know more about the Sea Scouts, email to sailing at seascouts.ie for information. That's sailing at seascouts.ie. Now here's good news from West Cork about angling from Miles Kelly of Inland Fisheries Ireland. Hello again Tom. Some interesting news from the world of angling this week for you. We, that's Inland Fisheries Ireland, have just opened a new accessible angling stand at Shepparton Lakes in West Cork. This was a big project which cost €106,000. It wasn't cheap but it's going to hugely improve access to the lake, especially for wheelchair users and anglers with reduced mobility. This new amenity at Shepparton Lake, which is near Skibreen in County Cork, opened on April 1st, just in time for the new season on the lake. What we've built is a specially designed fishing platform at Shepparton Lake in County Cork, and as I said, it cost €106,000 to construct. It provides access to wheelchair users and those with reduced mobility to a section of the popular angling destination, which is about three kilometres from Skibreen, so that's about an hour and a quarter's drive from Cork City. There had been a number of requests for, for accessible and safe infrastructure for wheelchair users and those with reduced mobility at Shepparton Lake, and the initiative was co-funded by Inland Fisheries Ireland and the Department of Rural and Community Development. We are looking forward now to seeing anglers of all abilities enjoying the fishing that will be available to them from the catwalk and angling platform. We worked with the Irish Wheelchair Association on the project, and we know that they view getting out in nature and having access to a specially built resource like this to be extremely beneficial to the well-being of their service users. IFI has been bringing anglers from the Irish Wheelchair Association in Clonakilty on fishing trips to the lake and elsewhere 
for the past seven years. And in that time, the angling day trips to Shepparton Lake were the ones that really stood out for everyone. So it made sense to develop access to improve the fishing for these anglers. So what we've built is a long boardwalk and a large accessible stand that can cater for up to four wheelchair anglers at a time. There's also a new picnic area and we've upgraded the parking for six vehicles. A bit of background on the lake for you, Tom. Shepparton Lake is managed by IFI and has stocks of native brown trout, but we also stock with rainbow trout to maintain a high density of fish for anglers. And it's not just trout in the lake, there are also rudd and pike present here. In fact, it's a popular winter pike angling destination that attracts a lot of local and visiting anglers to the area all year round. Boat fishing is also available here. The permits can be bought online and boat hire can be arranged locally. Um, for more information on fishing at the lake, permits and boat hire can be found at fishinginireland.info. That's all from me this week, Tom. Hope to see you on the lake sometime. Safe fishing to all and don't forget CPR saves fish. Thank you, Miles Kelly. An encouraging good news story about angling from Shepparton Lake near Skibbereen in West Cork. A beautiful and calm place, picturesquely set beneath the hills. From where we turn to a place that doesn't have hills, but mountains of ice and frozen water. Quite a change, but that's what radio can do, taking you to many different places. Now it's to the Antarctic and the man who had an affair there, about which it took him a long time to write a book describing it. Fergus O'Gorman is the former head of research at the Irish Wildlife and National Parks Division and the Department of Lands and Forestry. Before that, at the age of 22, he spent three years from 1976 with the Falkland Islands Dependency Survey, known as the FIDS, the original name of the British Antarctic Survey, and he was following in the footsteps of Ernest Shackleton and Tom Crean. His book about his Antarctic affair, published by the Harvest Press, is a very enjoyable read. Fergus being the only living Irishman to have wintered in that frozen place. Looking back in his late 80s on his work there, he recalled for me life and death in nature and how he dealt with isolation at the bottom of the world. As regards the isolation, when it became intolerable, I used to leave the house and walked down the two or three miles to the the penguin rookery and sit among the penguins and that's and then recover my because that was such a lovely experience penguins would come along peck at your shoe and then jump onto your foot and then onto your knee and by by which stage you don't know whether they're going to eat you or not. <laughs> you categorise them as they reminded you of nuns. Yes, that's right. Yeah, the nice white and uh, you know black uh, uniforms uh, of the daily penguin in particular uh, reminded me. I mean, I. I, I'd never seen so many nuns together. We, we had 100,000, I think. <laughs> you tagged ringed birds. It was one of your jobs. Yeah. The very last job I had to do before I came back was to tag all these giant petrel chicks. Uh, and we had, I think, 1900 and something or other uh, nests on the w western part of the island of Sydney, which is where we were living. And um, I had to do this job and I couldn't get 
any of the, the members to help me. I mean, the, they said, off with you. And if you come back, we'll be delighted, you know. But, and, it, it, of course, boating in a small boat with an outboard engine in the Antarctic is not exactly a, a safe thing to do. But uh, anyway, I, I spent uh, three, three weeks, I think, uh, tagging these all these chicks who the, the, the feature of, of shear waters is that they, when they're attacked or approached, uh, they vomit on you. They have a special regurgitation. And so while I missed most of them, uh, as you can imagine, with, with uh, 1,900 nests, um, they... They, I, I got covered from head to toe in GURP, as we said. Uh, I, uh, I used to have to peel my clothes off in the evening, leave them in, in the outer tent, part of the tent. It was a double tent uh, because I couldn't stand the smell. And, and then put them on every day and uh, carry on. And uh, when I... Uh, approached the base in my little boat uh, having finished the job uh, there was a big notice on the end of the jetty saying no further we will run about which was a major thing nobody ever ran about if you are naked so I, I went around the hut and the, all the doors were locked and, and the the, the lads were grinning at me out of the, the window. So I, I had to peel off all my clothes and uh, and they finally let me in to have a bath, <laughs> which I, I think it took me several hours to even reduce the smell. <laughs> all of this life you lived was in ice, cold, uh, on your own, intense, trying to keep warm, and yet you were engaged in that amazing job and you named some of the, the, the birds, some called paddies, stinkers. Yes. And I see a warning, be very careful approaching a joint petrol. Yes. The, the, uh, the paddy is this snowy sheepbill, which is a, a ground living bird. I mean, it can fly, of course. Needless to say, it wouldn't, wouldn't last long there. Um, and but it was known as a paddy, and of course they all said, "There's that bloody paddy," because uh, the paddy is particularly liked picking at shit. Uh, anybody who, uh, I mean, any other bird or uh, object, uh, uh, and because we didn't have an indoor loo, you had to do whatever you had to do outside and if you were not concentrating you had a paddy up your the petrol the joint petrol must have been an amazing bird to see up close well i mean they are large uh, very friendly in in a sense i i could creep up to them and if you sat quietly they ignored you. I used to creep up on them so that they didn't see me and I'd jump on their necks and hold them down and and then do the necessary putting on a ring and trying to avoid getting the gurp 
the vomit uh, on <laughs> too much of me. <laughs> but anyway, we survived. There was a beauty in the Antarctic that you described from your, your years there when you saw ice forming and the, the sea becoming ice. The sea freezing and all the intricate icicles and, and snow and ice and how the local population of animals and seals and birds for that matter coped with that. Obviously, they, it's, a, it's an extremely dangerous time for everybody. And penguins, you say in your book, that only about fewer than 10% would survive of all the penguins that would be born there? Oh, yeah. Now, there was a high mortality. I recorded the first penguin that we had r- uh, ringed that, that came back five years later at, to the same nest that it was ringed on in the same place. And of that population, probably it it may have been the only one. In those days, we didn't know that the penguins circumnavigated the Antarctic all the time. How they survived is, of course, a a miracle. (laughs) But my primary interest was studying fur seals, but they had been wiped out by the sealers in the in the previous century. I remember going out one day, going along the beach, and I fell over this stone. And, I, and when I got up, it growled at me. It was, a, it was a baby fur seal. And it was the first fur seal that had been recorded there for 25 years. You mentioned icebergs and you mentioned growlers yes. in the book. Yes, growlers are bits of icebergs that moan in in the real sense of the word. They are being washed along and they're not completely solid, but they grind uh, bits of them. And you can hear them coming, in fact. They growl and then sort of pass by. It's a a rather extraordinary feeling when you hear them the first time. But of course, when you're surrounded by by icebergs, you you don't even notice them, you know. Fergus O'Gorman, who says he's available and willing to give talks about his Antarctic affair. Back to Ireland now and the news roundup from Anton O'Callaghan. There's quite a contrast between the scrapping and building of vessels to report. Arklow shipping has added another new cargo vessel to its fleet, but the destruction of Irish fishing boats has begun. The positive aspect is the launching of the latest Irish flagged vessel with Arklow as its port of registry, the Arklow Gem, built at the Ferris Smith shipyard in Holland, with a capacity over 5,000 deadweight tonnes. Negative is the scrapping of 42 vessels from the Irish fishing fleet, the boats whose owners have accepted the EU and Irish government compensation deal to leave the industry because the Brexit deal hit Ireland so badly in reducing fish-catching quotas. The vessels have a combined total capacity of over 6,700 gross tonnes. That falls short of the Seafood Task Force target to remove 8,700 tonnes 
from the Whitefish and Prawn fleet. Scrapping of the boats has begun. Vessels doing well are those of the Irish Continental Group. Its annual report shows a return to profit after the pandemic of €66.7 million Euros for last year by Irish ferry ships en routes to the UK and France. Group Chief Executive Eamon Rothwell benefited, earning a salary of €2.9 million. Euros. Shareholders are being paid dividends. Board Planola has rejected the Uderos Nagelsdokta plan to build a marine park at Karna in Connemara. Park Namara had already been turned down in 2021 by Galway County Council, even though welcomed by local communities. A chance to buy a boat is being offered by Waterways Ireland, which is selling off by public tender a number of vessels it has removed, for various reasons, from the inland waterways. They are stored at Shannon Harbour in County Offaly, and Munster Harbour near Port Tumna. There is more information on the Waterways Ireland website. Dublin Port Company has started a public consultation on its 3FM project to complete its final development of capacity by 2040 on the Poolbeg Peninsula. Among the aims is to create the largest container terminal in Ireland, which would have an annual capacity of 353,000 containers. The consultation is open until April 28th. Another state body engaging in public consultation is Inland Fisheries Ireland about its plan to place spawning gravels in two locations for a distance of 320 metres on the Oanaher River in County Sligo. This, it says, is to improve spawning habitat for salmon and this consultation is open until the 8th of May. The Marine Casualty Investigation Board has issued a warning about outboard engines used on racing yachts following the burning and sinking of one using a three-horsepower engine in Ringabella Bay, Cork Harbour in December 2021. The solo sailor aboard was rescued uninjured by a fishing boat. The board wants the Minister for Transport to update safe practice codes to require yachts to have engines with enough power, particularly in bad weather. Irish solo sailor Tom Dolan from County Meath, who now lives in France pursuing his international career, plans to return to Ireland in May to attempt setting a new single-handed record for sailing around Ireland. He will make the attempt on his 30-foot, 10-metre Figaro yacht, the Beneteau 3, named Smurfit Kappa Kingspan. And that's the Maritime News Roundup. Anton O'Callaghan reporting. There are many challenging developments in the seas these days. Dr Simon Barrow, Chief Executive of the Irish Whale and Dolphin Group, is concerned about deep sea mining. An emerging issue, he says, joining us from the group's headquarters in Kilroche, County Clare. As if we didn't have enough new policies being rolled out for our marine environment. But one more that is getting increasing media attention is deep sea mining. The driver is increasing demand for scarce minerals and trace elements that are used in technologies such as smartphones, electric cars and green energy. And this is putting greater demand on existing land-based sources of these minerals. With an estimated value of over 14 billion euro by 2030, the development of deep sea mining will be some of the largest planned mining operations in history. Current exploration licenses already cover an area of 1.5 million square kilometres, which, if mined commercially to entirety, will be the equivalent to mining the combined area of France, Spain, Portugal and Germany. 
Now, Ireland could experience emerging deep-sea mining interests in the coming decades. A new study called Trident, which is Technology-Based Impact Assessment Tool for Sustainable Transparent Deep-Sea Mining Exploration and Exploitation, which is to be carried out by the Marine Institute and University College Cork, and funded by the EU, aims to develop a reliable, transparent and cost-effective system for continuous environmental impact assessment and monitoring of deep-sea mining. The Trident study states that before mining activities can start, potential environmental impacts and mitigation approaches must be fully understood. The effective monitoring and inspection systems to be developed will comply with international and national legal frameworks. However, the Irish Randolph Group propose that as no mitigation is effective enough to offset significant impacts and the environmental consequences too high, that deep sea mining should be banned in Ireland. To inform this emerging issue, the Irish Randolph Group, with funding support from the Heritage Council, have published a comprehensive review of current knowledge on deep sea mining and its likely effects on whales and dolphins. Impacts include increased noise levels, introducing bright artificial light in a completely dark environment, producing sediment plumes, and the resuspension of toxic chemicals and accelerating carbon emissions. Following this review, the Irish Randolph Group concluded that without an independent environmental regulator and sufficient knowledge of deep sea ecosystems and how they impact on the global environment, we are not in a position to responsibly proceed with commercial deep sea mining, both on the high seas and within national jurisdictions. Ireland, as a member of the International Seabed Authority, and various other international treaties has a right and a duty to protect the marine environment on the high seas and within Ireland's EEZ from these transboundary effects. Dr Simon Barrow and the emerging issue of deep sea mining. And that's all from this edition of Maritime Ireland. Email me on Maritime Topics to TomXSweeneyMaritimeIreland at gmail.com That's TomXSweeneyMaritimeIreland at gmail.com Phone and text 0872 555 That's 0872 555 We're on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter and with daily news and my weekly newsletter blog is on our website for which the address is maritimeirelandradioshow.ie That's maritimeirelandradioshow.ie Until our next edition, the usual wish of fair sailing and... Thank you for listening and being part of the Maritime community.